Hello and welcome to the March 30th, 2018 edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. My name is Mr. Joe. This is my neighborhood. This is my life. But this is our podcast journey. Welcome to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to another edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. It's good to have everybody with me today on a Friday afternoon, and I am back presenting a podcast on a Friday afternoon. I think I have found a new way to go about recording some of my podcasts. I don't normally take a break at work, a lunch break, so to speak. I usually eat at my desk, but you know what? This is breaking up my day real nicely, and it gives me a time to reach out to my audience, so I don't mind doing this. I think it's awesome. And what better way to kick off a Friday afternoon in Mr. Joe's neighborhood than to talk about something that I've been promising for an extremely long time, something that has been coming through my email inbox, I guess you can call it in very high demand, and that is benzodiazepines. And we're going to call them benzos because I don't know how, how much I'm going to be able to get that word correct throughout this podcast. But as you all know, we've done quite a few different podcasts on a number of different substances and um, some general terms, I guess you could say, so, so to speak. We've had bipolar 101. We've had autism 101. We've had marijuana 101, cocaine 101, etc., etc. And I think it's about time for the Benzo 101 episode. And, uh, the reason why I I I want to go through this is because for a couple of different reasons I think that everybody should be educated on benzos and what they are actually supposed to do for us and at the same time um, to try to stop I guess there's a bit of a stigma that is going on with benzos that I've started to notice as of late and one of those things happens to be the fact that there are a lot of people out there that are bashing it. And I understand why, and, and mainly because they are extremely addictive. Uh, but the, the other part, part B, as to why people tend to bash benzos, is because most people who have abused benzodiazepines have not... Um, have found it extremely difficult to get off of them, and when they did try to get off of them, it was a complete nightmare. Uh, so with that being said, I, I don't know how any other way to say this, but if you are prescribed benzos for anxiety, let's put it that way, um, or maybe for a, a short-term uh, sleep aid, and like I said, an anti-anxiety medication. Uh, the, the, a lot of times they'll treat symptoms. If you have, are you stepping into that hypomanic slash manic episode where you have decreased need for sleep? Some of us, of course, with bipolar disorder, we will oftentimes have some of those racing thoughts, that unusual talkativeness, that increased activity 
that goes on with our hypomania or manic uh, mood swings. Believe it or not, some of that agitation also that coincides when you step up into that mania and you've now surpassed that quote-unquote happy place and now you've become agitated or maybe if you're just uh, engaged in some distractibility. A lot of times, benzos can be prescribed for things of that um, nature. And again, you know, uh, possibly part of a manic or a hypomanic episode with bipolar disorder. But what we need to understand is there is definitely a risk of addiction. So, like I said, these benzos, they are usually prescribed in a short-term use to temporarily relieve those symptoms. Or you can not educate yourself and you can allow a doctor to prescribe to you over and over again benzos and you could keep taking them and taking them and not dealing with the underlying issues of the anxiety that you might be experiencing and then eventually become completely addicted to them and it'll be a nightmare for you to come off of them. Kind of like it was with me. Now, I will tell you this. my Both my parents, as far as I'm concerned, abused Xanax in particular. And we will definitely get into the different kinds of benzos. It's not a whole lot that we need to discuss when it comes to the different brands, so to speak, when it comes to benzos, but we will definitely get into that. Um, the only thing that's really worth mentioning is the time of of action in which it activates in your body, uh, how long it takes to kick in. And for the two types that I want to refer to, Xanax and Klonopin, um, they have very, very different uh, attributes, so to speak, in, in terms of how long it takes to kick in and how long they actually last. But again, we'll get back to that. Both my parents, as far as I'm concerned, abused Xanax in a way that was undescribable or indescribable, if that's the word that I'm searching for. Uh, my father, uh, more of a functioning alcoholic, somebody who was never really nasty as he got older in age. Uh, he was definitely a nasty SOB as I was growing up. Uh, I, I, for those of you who have not listened to some of the things that went on in my childhood, you know, two things I remember about my dad was the fact that, well, three things. The fact that he used to smoke marijuana in front of me uh, and pretend that it was a cigarette. And some of you might be able to, um, call, you know, uh, maybe you've experienced that also. I don't know. But, uh, you know, as I got older, I started to realize what that piece of paper was that he was rolling up and claimed that it was just like a cigarette. And I started to notice that it had a very unique smell to it. Uh, the other thing that my father used to do that used to scare the living daylights out of me is anywhere that we went, whether it be for a holiday, whether it be um, some kind of a celebration with with the rest of the family, anytime we traveled, my father would drink and drive. And I used to sit in the back seat, scared to death, um, as my mother would sometimes have to grab the wheel to avoid hitting something. She would yell at him and scream and say, you got kids in the car, you're going to kill us all. These are the things I remember about my father. The other thing I remember about my father, as I got older, I remember our Christmas Eves uh, being somewhat of a nightmare where my sister and I, we would be very excited to celebrate Christmas Eve. My beautiful sister, who we both are extremely close and 
I think back and we talk about nostalgia and reminiscing about the past and I had a great relationship with my sister. We beat the crap out of one another for a long time, but for the most part, we really loved each other and, um, you know, we spent a lot of time together and we, 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 were, the, we were a real, true family. We, we leaned on one another. We still continue to do so, um, kind of read each other's minds in a lot of ways. Um, and, uh, it was a, it was a pretty large gap in years. I believe it's five years, something like that. But we were always able to get along no matter what age we were. Um, and one of the things that we used to look forward to was Christmas Eve. We loved hanging out on Christmas Eve. That's when we opened our presents. That's when we celebrated. That's when we had our seafood dinners. And I remember having to walk over to the Christmas tree to retrieve my present and I would s- simply have to walk over my father as he would lay passed out drunk in the middle of the floor. And I remember very many Christmas Eves like that. And I, and I have to wonder, and the reason why I bring up my sister is I wonder if she remembers that the way that Mr. Joe does. But that's neither here nor there. So my father, uh, I didn't know a whole lot about benzos. I believe they've been around pretty big since the 1970s, believe it or not. But what I know is that my dad was not abusing them as I grew up. My dad began to abuse them as I became much older. Mr. Joe was 42. I'd say around the age of 32, maybe a little bit older, give take a few years, I know my dad was popping those things like it was nobody's business. And to the point where we were concerned about him when he had gone into a hospital for some uh, surgery that for a hernia went terribly wrong and he had to stay for a while. And we were so concerned about the fact that he um, was not getting his Xanax that he could potentially have a seizure. And it's also very important for everybody to understand that along with alcohol, those are two dangerous substances, That two things that you do not, and I repeat, you do not want to stop cold turkey, is a benzodiazepine or drinking alcohol, because both an abrupt stoppage of either one of those medications or substances can result in a deadly seizure. Keep that in mind. Uh, Very, very scary. Most of the times people are not going to quote-unquote drop dead from that, but I do know some situations where it has been uh, gone terribly wrong, where people try to stop. Uh, The side effects are just, oh, my goodness, you know, trying to cold turkey, come off of that stuff. Again, it's deadly and it's not pleasant. So um, my dad would pop them like nobody's business. And I would imagine that the man probably still does, believe it or not. Um, But again, it's like the alcohol with my father. He never acted dopey on it, never acted drowsy on them. And, um, you know, they certainly, certainly... Uh, can, in terms of side effects, I mean, you you want to say they have that adverse effect on, I guess you could say, coordination, that cause sleepiness, almost a little bit of amnesia, if that makes sense. And my father never really displayed any of those signs. Uh, just like with the alcohol, he was able to function on them. So uh, to each his own. Now, my mother, on the other hand, she was somebody who would actually combine the drinking that she did with her benzos and she would act like an animal on them. She would actually slur her words. She would fall down flights of steps. 
can't tell you the number of times that she ended up in a hospital because she was so clumsy based on the amount of Xanax she was popping and the amount of alcohol that she was engaged in that she hurt herself several times. Now, the other thing my mother actually tried to do was she tried to commit suicide by taking Xanax, and I believe she swallowed 45 pills. Uh, I don't know how the woman survived. I just know that it was one of the scariest sights I've ever seen when I went to visit her. She had no idea who I was, although she was able to throw a dig my way. Um, I don't remember what it was about. I believe it might have been about my current wife, Mr. Bipolar Joe's wife, uh, had something to say, or possibly about my children. I don't remember. Some kind of dig. My mom was always good for that, no matter what kind of position or state of mind she was in, drunk, sober, angry, mad, sad, didn't matter. She was always good for a dig. So even laying on her uh, deathbed, so to speak, after having her stomach pumped, she certainly was able to throw a dig my way. And I remember having to ignore it and just set that aside. And my dad just kind of shook his head in shame. And then I left the hospital. So that was my visit to my mother. The interesting thing about both my parents is when I was going through my very first hospitalization shortly after I was hospitalized uh, for a period of 15 days in which I tried to commit suicide, I do recall that the, uh, the person or the people that introduced me to benzos were my parents. And isn't that nice? I talk about the introduction of the Vicodins from my friend Albert, I believe we called him. And, you know, Albert was, again, we're all responsible for our own actions. I understand that and I get that and I try to man up to everything that I've done. But just like everything else, there is a, there is a reason why or a person that usually introduces us. A lot of times, guys, we don't just find these things off the streets alone. Somebody somehow, some way introduces them, whether it be a doctor or whether it be a friend or a family member um, or whether it just be ourselves, okay, um, where we're raiding a cabinet closet and we decide to pop whatever pill th we think is going to get us high. Well, based on that hospital stay that I had, I was a nervous wreck afterwards. I had engaged in um, uh, cocaine, I believe, one more time after that to begin self-medicating again, and uh, which ultimately led to me quitting cocaine and then uh, getting involved with the Vicodins from Albert. He was the one who introduced them. And then never really having any real stability because I was abusing marijuana along the entire time I was trying to manage my bipolar disorder with all of those medications, the, the Depakote, the Lamictal, the Cymbalta. I was a nervous wreck. So one night, my parents came over, and they just said, you know, we're going to go over to Mr. Son Bipolar Joe's house and get to see the grandchildren. And, of course, it was only on my mother's terms. If it was good for us, it wasn't good for her. I'll tell you that much. If it wasn't good for us, it was definitely good for her. And if we didn't allow her to come in or to visit, we were the worst people in the world. We were cursed at for weeks. We would despised and hated and, um, and, and mean to her and all the things that kind of go along, unfortunately, with the diagnosis of bi, uh, borderline personality disorder.
But nevertheless, uh, experiencing, I guess, what you can call some restlessness or some anxiety or uneasiness when my mother had seen the way that I was acting one particular evening, I will never forget. She opened up a pocketbook and she said, here, if I were you, I would just take a little half of this. And from that point on, things were very different with Mr. Joe's life in terms of my medication regimen, um, the way that I functioned on a, on a, on a daily basis. Uh, one of the things I do remember was sleeping like a baby that night. I also remember waking up kind of groggy. But I remember most importantly, based on the feeling that I had from that Xanax that particular evening, was I was going right to my Suboxone doctor, who was very liberal when it came to offering my medications to me. She was not a psychiatrist. She was technically a family practitioner. And there were many, many times where I would skip seeing the psychiatrist and I would just go to her and say, hey, can you fill my Cymbalta? Can you fill my Depakote? So I knew, and she would do it. And she would do it for three refills at a time. So I would find myself going months and months without seeing a psychiatrist and just kind of managing my own medication along with the smoking of marijuana and the engaging in caffeine. And of course, the wonderful Xanax that I was popping every day, all day, every, I'd say four or five hours. So I went right to my Suboxone doctor and I told her about my tremendous amount of anxiety that I had and how it was debilitating and it was ruining my life. And I didn't even have to ask for Xanax. She said, oh, I got the medication for you. And um, I guess that was the least she thought she could do because of the amount of money she was banging me for in terms of the Suboxone treatment that she provided every month, which was the big five-minute appointment that she gave me and you know, $175, I believe she was charging me each month, refusing to take my insurance and writing me out prescriptions of Suboxone. I view what she did to me as not necessarily my doctor's fault. I view it as my own fault. Because again, we have to take responsibility for our actions. I'm going to say this to everybody that is right now listening to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. You are all probably extremely, and I won't even say probably, I say definitely out there, all extremely educated people. And I don't mean that you all had to go to school or you had to graduate college. Uh, None of that matters to me. I know a lot of people that have high school diplomas and they are doing very well for themselves and they are quite educated. I know a lot of people that didn't graduate high school and are extremely talented and doing very well for themselves. I mean... Most of you who are downloading Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast, you have a pretty good understanding of bipolar disorder and a pretty good understanding about substance abuse, addiction, alcohol, and for that matter, benzos. And let's be real, everybody. We understand that benzos are an extremely addictive drug. So if you're not educating yourself, if you're acting the way that Mr. Joe used to act, and you plan on coming off benzos at some point in your life and you are currently abusing them, things are not going to be easy for you. And you're going to view that medication as a detriment, as a disastrous point in your life, as something that you um, will have a hell of a ride coming off of. And probably nine times out of 10, you're going to fail quite a few times uh, in the beginning. So... I don't recall the name of the gentleman that was on a podcast recently with uh, 
bipolar Becky, we'll call her from that B word. But I have to tell you, I listened to the whole episode, and that, that gentleman did a lot of bashing of doctors and benzos and what was done to him and, um, you know, the fact that he was so unaware of how addictive they can become. I got to tell you all, I mean, and, 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 I, and I view it the same way I view my Suboxone, in the sense where I didn't take the time because I was so desperate to feel better and I knew that I had found something that made me feel better that I never really looked at the long-term effects or what would, what was it going to take to wean myself or withdraw from a certain medication. And I just, I trusted in the doctors and I just kept taking Suboxone, never knowing, never knowing how hard it was going to be to come off. So I, if we want to look at this from a perspective of forgetting about blaming others, just take some credibility for, or, or um, owning up to things. We're not educating ourselves. And let's be real, guys. We could just type something into Google nowadays. And please, I don't want anybody to be angry at me. Um, and again, say that you're not educated and that you're not smart enough to type things in Google. I get that we are sometimes fooled by our doctors. And because we are so desperate to feel better, we just take what's given to us. Um, or we're just drug addicts. We're just addicts. And whatever is faced our way, whatever is presented to us, if it makes us feel good, we're going to take it. But that does not eliminate the fact that benzos are just extremely addictive. And uh, as you can hear, Mr. Joe is out <laughs> in his car once again. I don't know if you guys heard that, but there's some kind of horn going by. I apologize for that. I'm not going to edit that out. It actually scared the living daylights out of me, but we won't get into that. Um, so... Listen, benzos are, I mean, from what I understand about benzos, they affect the, that chemical in your brain. It's a neurotransmitter, and it's called, I believe it's called gamma amniobutric or something like that, uh, aminobutric, aminobutric, something along those times. Or, um, uh, again, I call it the GABA. I don't know exactly how to pronounce it. Uh, aminobutric, something along those lines, and I apologize if you guys would like to look it up. I don't even know the proper spelling, so I can't give it to you. I believe it's A-M-E-N-O-B-U-T-R-Y-I-C, something along those lines. But for me, I call it that neurotransmitter, the gamma, or the, uh, the gamma, uh, gamma amniobutric, which is GABA. And by increasing that GABA in the brain, Benzos have a, uh, that relaxing, um, sedative effect, and that's what relieves, it, relieves the anxiety. It's, uh, benzos, what they do really, guys, is they slow down the nervous system. And that's what helps to ease the feelings of anxiousness and the nervousness. And I can't, I cannot express it enough that for people who are drug addicts, like myself... It's got to be prescribed for short-term use. If you are suffering from uh, an excessive, excessive amount or an unusual amount of anxiety, from stress, from the anger that I used to engage in, um, some of those symptoms that usually occur in bipolar disorder. But again, we have to remember that a lot of times people with bipolar disorder, um, we are addicts, a lot of us. So... 
put two and two together, guys, and we're going to realize that benzos, they affect the brain chemistry. And uh, although they have that advantage of taking a, a quick effect on us, I can honestly say for those of you who have dealt with substance abuse in the past, that in my opinion, they are not recommended for long term or routine use. Let's put it that way. Now, if you have your addiction under control, um, if you are not abusing, and you, let's say you've been on something for many, many years, using it as a sleep aid, maybe you're taking a .50 of clonopin at night just to get to bed, a .25 um, of Xanax, okay, a quarter of a milligram of Xanax just to get to bed at night, and you know maybe the next day if if you need it, um, you know, your, your doctor says to you, well, the worst case scenario, you could take another 0.50, but I don't want you going any more than that. If you have been able to comply with those wishes let's, from your doctor, and I'm going to say for five years, for a period of five years, then by all means, go for it. Take those benzos and stick with them and use them because as far as I'm concerned, you're not engaging in addictive behaviors with that particular medications, okay, with that particular medication. But keep in mind, and, and again, I can't say this any more simply, that benzos are a drug that leads to de dependence and resistance. What that means is, and dependence is very self-explanatory. You start to depend on it to feel a certain way. But the resistance part is the part that scares me more than anything. And that's the part that used to affect me more than anything because the more I took Xanax, the more I needed. You know, 0.25 wasn't working anymore. You start to build a tolerance. And before you knew it, I had to start taking a 0.50, and that started to not work. And then you're up to one milligram and two milligrams. And, you know, there was a time in my life that I was popping anywhere between four and eight milligrams a day of Xanax. There is no doubt in my mind, possibly even more. Um, now, I probably have, and just so this allowed me to segue very quickly into this, which is great. And I don't know all the types of uh, benzos, okay? I'm just going to give you a few off the top of my head. We've already talked about Xanax. I don't even know the um, the generic terms, guys, for these drugs. Uh, so I'm not going to give them to you. I just know that we got Xanax. And then we got the Clonopin, which I must have 180 of them sitting in my house, which I am no longer taking. And I'll explain that to you in a second. Um uh, I think it's called Transine, okay, that's another benzo, so we got our Xanax, our Clonopin, Transine, and excuse me for repeating myself, but I got to go through this in my brain in order to process what I've said to you, uh, Ativan, that's another one, uh, Valium, okay, I believe that that is the one that I do know, Diazepam is the generic term of that, uh, Librium, that's another one, and off the top of my head, that's about all I know. If there's other benzos, you could throw them into the category and understand that they all more or less do the same thing. They are, they're in the same class of drugs, so they're going to act the same way. The two that people like to compare a whole lot happen to be the Xanax and the Clonopin. And I will tell you personally, the big difference from them, what I realize is that Xanax 
uh, kicks in a heck of a lot faster. Usually within 20 minutes, I was feeling off the wall, drowsy and dopey. But unfortunately, it wouldn't last a whole long time. You know, maybe a couple of hours, I was done. Maybe even an hour sometimes, especially as my tolerance, tolerance to Xanax grew. Within an hour, I was just feeling like I needed more. Um, whereas Clonopin sometimes can take anywhere from 40 minutes to an hour to kick in. Obviously, everybody is different, so don't quote me on that. If you take Clonopin and it kicks in in 25 minutes, I'm, I believe you. For me, it usually takes about 45 minutes to kick in. And for me, it lasts a very long time, anywhere between four and eight hours, believe it or not. One of the things that I know happens to me is one of two things is going to happen to me from clonopin. And I figured this out based on the fact that um, I've taken data, I've done my, um, uh, you know, I keep a daily log, uh, I use my eMoods application, so I know exactly what goes on when I take clonopin. And I'm going to tell you right now that either one, I had this bounce back effect where um, once it's once I take it the next day, I either become extremely anxious all over again. It's almost like my body is searching for it. Um, and even with a low dose, it's very scary because, yeah, man, it makes me sleepy. It knocks me out, and it's probably the one and only time, and I've talked about how much I urinate in the middle of the night, probably the one and only time that I could take a medication, and it will allow me to literally sleep straight through. And... Um, but I wake up and either I'm extremely anxious based on the fact that I was able to ease my anxiety so much. And now it's almost like that bounce back effect, I guess you could call it, where my body is searching to feel that way again instantaneously. Or one of the other things that happens with Mr. Joe, and it's really scary, guys. Well, sorry, three things, okay? That anxiousness... If I'm not anxious, one of the other things that will happen is I get extremely depressed the day after. Extremely depressed. Now remember, it's, um, it's a depressant in, in a sense, this drug. You got to also remember though, guys, not everybody is going to be like Mr. Joe. I found that the root of my depression, and this happened right before myself and my ex-wife separated the very last time when that obnoxious witch, <laughs> excuse me, I had to call her that, how dare she spend years and years of begging me to get treatment and help, and then when I finally go get treatment and help, and I get into a rehab program, and again, just for marijuana, um, but, but more of a bipolar support group, one of the greatest things that I could have ever done in my life. The, she then started to get mad about the fact that I wasn't home and I was attending sessions all the time. So again, you couldn't win with that wonderful ex-wife of mine. But what I realized, and this was during the time that I was coming off some boxing the first time in my life, I had so much trouble sleeping. And at the time, I was not allowed to use any kind of sleep aid. I was being monitored by a psychiatrist, by a drug rehabilitation program. I was under the the guidance and the scrutiny of a child protective agency that would watch me at all times and come to visit me. And although, and think about how hard this is, guys, I actually had a leftover dosage of Xanax in the, in the house. 
and I could not sleep. And I knew the one thing that would help me sleep because of that Suboxone withdrawal was the, the Xanax. And I used to beg the psychiatrist, just please, point two five to stop the restless leg syndrome and the fact that, I mean, guys, 188 days. I was sleeping one to three hours a night. One to three hours a night. But I couldn't take anything. So what I used to do was I started to reach for natural substances to help me sleep. And one of the first things that I tried was melatonin. And here's why I'm talking about melatonin is you can't trust in Mr. Joe's uh, symptoms, so to speak, based on the after effects of me and my clonopin because when I went on melatonin and I was taking a very, very low dosage, I don't remember the milligrams, but one of the, the, the smallest doses that you could possibly take, um, it caused such severe depressive symptoms with me. And I don't want to put things in your mind, guy, guys, okay? I don't want you to stop using melatonin just because Mr. Joe said it made him, made him depressed. But I had, I had no idea. I had no idea. Now, of course, I was depressed from the Suboxone. But I got to tell you, and I, I brag about how Wellbutrin saved my life. It was a time where I was on some, coming off the Suboxone, or I was off the Suboxone, going through that 188 horrible withdrawal until I finally discovered Wellbutrin, and that pulled me off out of that deep, dark depression. Well, it's interesting to note that right around the time I found Wellbutrin, I also took myself off the melatonin. So to this day, I have no idea what was the real, I guess you could say, cause or helping agent that allowed me to eliminate my depression. Maybe it was both. But I will say this, that I had a dramatic increase in my mood, stability, and happiness once I came off melatonin. So again, my point is, I am extremely sensitive to medication, everybody. So please do not go by what Mr. Joe says and think that just because you pop a pill, you're going to be depressed the next day. But my doctor did say it makes sense. And a lot of people do feel that way the day after taking a benzodiazepine. The other thing that happens to Mr. Joe, and this happened more to Mr. Joe when I was not medicated. Now that I am medicated, this does not happen to me anymore. It's more of the depression, which leads me to believe that my medicine is working wonders in the sense where it is doing exactly what it's supposed to do in terms of mood stability and the lamictal in terms of its label. Basically, it's supposed to stabilize your mood. Now, when I wasn't on lamictal, it would Im I would imagine that I probably was my body and my, my brain was geared more towards the manic side of things. As you all know, I was more of a mania type of person. So what used to happen when I was unmedicated with the Lamictal is the day after taking Clonopin, I would become a raging lunatic. I would break things, bash things, smack things, punch things, yell, scream, uh, just the most angry man that you could ever imagine. Uh, now that I'm medicated, I no longer get like that the day after. So, but I'm not going to lie, guys. And whether you're with me or whether you're not, guess what? Tonight is Friday. I, I actually, my, Mr. Joe's children, 
my other two children from my previous marriage are not going to be with me this evening. They will be with me all of next week. They're actually arriving Sunday for Easter Sunday, but my ex-wife had asked if she could have them for this weekend because she has something going on in her neighborhood. So, like I always do, I give in, and I'm allowing it to happen, even though it's supposed to be my weekend, so to speak. But, you know, her family apparently hasn't seen the children in a long time, and although her family hates my guts for some reason, of one of which I have no idea, um, I, I refuse to be an angry person. I just can't do it. Can't do it. So, she can have them this weekend as long as she gets them to me on Sunday. Um, but I got to tell you, I don't have kids tomorrow. Guess what Mr. Joe wants to do? Even though I get depressed or even though I might have anxiety tomorrow, I want to go home tonight and I want to pop a clonopin because I want to sleep like a baby. And there are so many evenings in which I have one in my hand and I say, I'm taking one tonight. I am 100% taking one because I want to sleep well. And every night somehow, and maybe you call it the Mr. Joe mentality in which I am able to battle that addictive uh, behavior, at least up until this last Saturday that I engaged in my beer drinking and my marijuana smoking. Um, again, four beers and two pulls from a joint. It's not the end of the world, Mr. Joe, right? Um, but I want to, uh, I want to engage in that activity of taking a clonabin, but for some reason, and maybe because I got many, many years of practice in saying no, that I am able to say no. And I'm, I'm so scared. It's finally come to a point in Mr. Joe's life that the cons of taking a benzodiazepine for Mr. Joe significantly weigh, outweigh the pros. Um, and it's not a matter of anxiety. Mr. Joe is not experiencing anxiety. It's more like, I just want to sleep. I just want to sleep. With that being said, uh, just took a peek at myself in the rearview mirror. And I have to tell you guys, the Seroquel is doing a number on me. It's do I feel like it's doing a number on my appearance. I feel like it's giving me tremendous bags under my eyes. Um, I feel very foggy. Uh, I don't feel, you know, this could also be due to my dental surgery. I don't know. You know, it's, it's interesting how any time in life we're faced with a new change or a new challenge, whether it be a medication or a, a life-altering um, circumstance, so many times there's like a secondary thing that goes along with it, and it's very hard to relate. I'll give you a quick example. My little guy, Mickey, has now been off his gastrointestinal medication for three days. So what does he do this morning? He vomits, or he spits up, and he's never spit up. I, I want to attribute it to the fact that he's off his medication. He's never spit up. That was never one of his issues with the gastrointestinal things that he had going on. It was always milk allergies. It was always um, acid reflux. He's never had a situation where he was spit up, but he's been off now three days. He spit up, or he just shoved about 30 fruit puffs in his mouth when I wasn't looking, and maybe he choked himself. So it's, I know it's a weird analogy to give, but, you know, until I really can look again and see if he, you know, and he hasn't spit up since, so I don't know the answer, which one is which. And again, a lot of times in life, it's just so, almost like the melatonin and the Wellbutrin example I gave you. Sometimes it's so hard, even though we're tracking things, and I like to call that the antecedent. 
just so everybody understands, one of the good things, to, and we do this a lot with children with autism, if you want to start tracking things, you, it's simply called an ABC chart, okay? And that's it. You make three columns. You put an A, you put a B, and you put a C. The B stands for the behavior, okay? Um, let's just say the behavior is you start to injure yourself. You start stabbing yourself like Mr. Joe used to do with a scissor, okay? And cutting up your arms. Well, that's the behavior. You write that down. The A is the antecedent. And what that means is it's, it's what transpired right before the behavior. And sometimes it's really hard to find what the antecedent is, but if you look for it, you'll find it. Sometimes it might be the weather. Sometimes it might be a stressful situation that just took place. Um, sometimes it might be somebody said the wrong thing to you. Uh, something happened in a car. Something happened in a relationship. Um, so you took a medication. You popped a pill. Okay? That resulted in the behavior. And then the C is the consequence. What happened because of the behavior? Not before the behavior, but what happened? Did you go, see the, did you go talk to a doctor? Did you go talk to a friend? Did you do nothing? Did you ignore it? Uh, so those are the things that allow you to track. I just thought I would throw that in there and help you out a little bit. Um, it's a good, good tool if you'd like to start tracking some of the reasons why we behave the way that we behave. And that's part of my behavior analytical background. And, uh, you know, I am a behavior analyst. For those of you who don't know, that's what I do. In a nutshell, I am a behavior analyst. And one thing that I've analyzed is that Mr. Joe is off the wall, <laughs> unfortunately. I am off the wall. I am, uh, I am a, a person with bipolar disorder, but a person who does this for the, for the, for the sole purpose or the two, the two purposes of helping you and helping myself. That's what's important to me, and I think that we're making progress, so... I hope I helped you out with this Benzo 101 episode. Um, before I sign off, I just want to say one more thing to everybody. Today is March 30th. It is Bipolar Day, World Bipolar Day. So happy World Bipolar Day. And thank you for listening, everybody. Have a great day. And uh, make sure that you reach out, Mr. Joe, BP at Yahoo.com, or on Twitter at Mr. Bipolar Joe. Thanks again. Did I disappoint you? let you down should I be feeling guilty or let the judges frown cause I saw the end before we'd begun yes I saw you were blind and I knew I had one so I took what's mine by eternal right took your soul out into the night it may be over but it won't stop there I am here for you If you'd only care You touched my heart, you touched my soul Changed my life and all my goals Love is blind, but that I knew it